0: This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast and find out about events and training in your area.
1: Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name's Anna Hawkin and I'm part of the team here. This week we are looking at what we are feeling right now And if we're not sure how figuring out might help our relationship with God, our children and their relationship with God as well. Uh, We've got a question sent in by a listener about a three-year-old who's having nightmares. And uh, in the wildcard section, I'm going to be interviewing the wonderful Alex Taylor on the new book, Book of Wonders, and hearing all about that. But first of all, I wanted to tell you about the Parenting as Church Leader Training Day. Now it's coming up really, really soon. It's on the 3rd of November. We do still have some places. So if you know anyone who is a church leader, children's leader, youth leader, just very involved in church in any way, and who has kids, I'd really encourage you to come along. Um, It's on Zoom, it's 15 pounds, and that includes a copy of the book posted to you, which is normally 10 pounds and three pounds postage. So you're basically getting an entire day's conference for two pounds and it's normally 20 so you can't really argue with that can you and um, there's four really dynamic sessions and the people who've gone on it have just found it so helpful I refer back to it all the time and um, so really encourage you come to that if you're a leader and do mention it to anyone you know who's in leadership but let's get chatting today about you how are you doing what are you feeling at the moment I don't know about you but I don't really know a lot of the time. It has been such a bizarre year, hasn't it? I mean, who knew 2020 was going to look like this? And right now, I'm often feeling quite a complex mix of emotions and I'm not really sure what, and I don't have the words for it. It's not something I've experienced before and I don't really know how to describe it. And I recently came across the word acedia, I hope I'm saying that right, Um, which is sort of describes a spiritual listlessness almost a bit like um, apathy or sloth, but it's a bit more complex than that. It kind of explains some different emotions colliding. Uh, So I've gone back to the early fifth century. There's a guy called John Cassian, who was a monk and a theologian, uh, to find out more about what this means. And he describes this ancient Greek emotion called acedia. He says, it's when a mind is seized by this emotion, it's horrified at where it is and disgusted with its room. It does not allow him to stay in his cell or to devote any effort to reading. So uh, he's obviously talking in the context of being a monk. So it's a bit complicated, but it's kind of saying you are confused and you don't know, you know, you you sort of don't have the energy for anything. um, But almost without reason, maybe it's not trying to justify that. He goes on and I'm quoting now. Um, one feels such bodily listlessness and yawning hunger as though he were worn out by a long journey or a prolonged fast and yet the next moment he glances about and sighs that no one is coming to see him constantly in and out of his cell he looks at the sun as if it were too slow in setting so it's sort of that weird like i'm frustrated with this this is hard um you know switching from big things to small things Yeah, just quite complex going on. And I thought, what an interesting concept. I've never heard of that before. And I realised that I'd just discovered a name to describe a little bit of how I've been feeling at points in lockdown. And really, it was a huge relief. I don't know why, it's only a word, but it really made me feel better to have a name for it. And what I like is that it gives a name to that complex mixture of emotions that come with the isolation, the uncertainty, the bad news that we've all experienced this year. By saying, hey, I'm feeling a seedier, it sort of allows you to say, I'm feeling a bit listless and a bit anxious, but that's okay, it makes sense given what's going on around me. It stops me from getting into that trap of thinking I shouldn't feel those things because others have it much worse. You can often have a, well, I I do, maybe other people don't, but have a little bit of argument with yourself of you think you're feeling something but you don't think you should be, so you kind of try and squish it. Um, But that's often not very healthy and not very helpful. You see, when you have a name or a way of expressing an emotion, then it helps to communicate it to yourself, to other people, and also to God, and to share that experience, which is so helpful for processing it. I was chatting to a wise friend recently about how it's okay to feel more than one emotion at a time, and that God can handle that. You can say all those things and not have to try and make sense of them. Various things have piled up, and I was just feeling really low and miserable but also very guilty about that, feeling like I have such a wonderful life, you know, I have no, no right to feel those things. And she was saying, hey, tell God, he can hack it. It's not, a, it's not a problem for him that you're feeling those things at the same time. And several people close to me are really brilliant about having a grateful attitude and really expressing their thanks to God a lot. And as someone who has to work a bit harder at that, sometimes I get stuck and uh, can feel like I'm not able to be honest with God because I'm too busy thinking how I ought to feel. I absolutely love the Psalms for this reason. So often we see David absolutely pour out his heart, don't we? To the outsider, I think sometimes he seems like a bit of a drama queen, but that I love that he's just no holds barred about what he's thinking and feeling. And he uses that to connect with God, to draw close to him. And very often after he's done that, his attitudes shift and he does lift his eyes and praise God or see the bigger picture as well. But that's not, um, it's not dependent on that. He is able to be real and honest to God. And all this just got me thinking how if we want to raise emotionally healthy and emotionally intelligent children, we need to help them identify and share their emotions with us and with God as well. So two things I'd love uh, to encourage you to try this week. Firstly, see if you can be really open and honest with your kids about how you're feeling and how you share that with God. You don't have to have all the reasons why, you don't have to have a linked Bible verse or a inverted comma solution just showing them that it's okay to come to God exactly how you are is really important for them to see. You're creating a window in how to connect with God uh, when things are going well and when they're not going well. So the other day as I say lots of stuff just been getting on top of me and I was having a little cry and one of my children asked what was going on and although it felt a bit uncomfortable at the time um, I was just quite honest and said look I'm having a sad day and I was just telling God about it. I like to tell him and feel him near, even though I know he already knows it all. Um, And though it felt a bit odd, I reflected afterwards what a gift that is to her. You know, I really hope and pray that next time she's feeling sad, she can remember that and it might spark the thought in her to chat to God about it. So that's the first thing. Be honest with your kids about how you're feeling and how you share that with God. And then secondly, encourage your kids to share openly with God too. Now, it doesn't matter if they don't have the words. I've just introduced a weird word they won't have heard of. That's fine. Um, but you can, um, they could make a face to show him how they're feeling. They could draw a picture. They could do a word cloud. Uh, there's free programs they want to do on the computer rather than writing it down uh, with some of the things they might be feeling. You can use uh, different tools. We have some little cards from Bookstart that have different emotions on and my kids will sometimes pick one to show how they're feeling. I know Rachel's a big fan of The Emotionary, which is a book, a similar idea. You could ask curious questions to suggest some ideas of things they might be feeling. Does it feel more like this or like this? Because you're helping them giving words and describe it, which, as I mentioned before, is just really helpful for processing. Now just make clear that it's okay if they don't know and it's also okay for it to be anything, nothing or a whole mixture of things. There's no way they ought to feel or way they should be thinking. God can take it and he loves that they just want to connect with him and tell him how they're feeling. So let's set them up to do that um, and give them all the tools they need to do that well. Uh, And if you want to um, nerd up on that term, acedia, I'm gonna post a link in the show notes where I started reading about it because I know some of you will be intrigued to find out a little bit more. Uh, then we are going to head into our question section next.
2: My name is Rachel Turner, and this is the question and answer section of the podcast. And uh, we love hearing your questions, your comments, your input into what we're doing. And if you want to get in touch, please do through our website, through our Facebook page, anywhere you can grab a hold of us. We love hearing from you. And this week we have a question from a listener who says this. Hello, I bought a copy of Comfort in the Darkness at the Forge last year and love reading it with my 10-year-old. However, my 3-year-old is waking up most nights with nightmares, and I wonder if you have any great tips on how I can use it with her. She's very much still at the picture book stage, and when I offer to pray before bed, she asks me not to. Any thoughts, ideas appreciated? Uh, Yes, um, Comfort in the Darkness is one of my favorite books that I got to write, and it is a, well, it's 16 stories of night... Bedtime and sleep. Uh, essentially, what I discovered through working with families and children is that we often don't have a theology of the night. Who is God in the night and what he does? And so our children can grow to have nightmares and to be afraid of the dark and be afraid of the sleep. And and I just wanted to sort of speak into it. So I wrote a book called Comfort in the Darkness, which is like a series of uh, stories uh, and questions and discussions and prayers and chat and catch to do around all of these different things uh, that God is in the night. And uh, it is written for like four-year-olds to, to well, plus I have adults who don't have children emailing me and saying it helps. So if you just want to explore nighttime, then it's helpful. Um, but with a three-year-old, I can understand if you don't have pictures, if it's not in a picture book format, it can be a, an interesting one. And so what I would suggest you do is to have a look at the key truths. You have the book, and if you notice, um, after the story, there is a, it says extras for parents, and that's where the discussion questions are and things to chat and catch about and a little tool, but there's a key truth, and that key truth is something that that your child needs. And so you can begin to do that, even if it's not story-based. You can you can begin to drip-feed those truths into your child. So for instance, uh, the first key truth is God made the night and thinks it's good. And so that's the key truth that the story of creation to me was telling us, is that God saved the night on purpose for something really exciting. And so even if you just look at that truth, God made the night and thinks it's good, then we can begin to talk about, like, oh, I'm so excited about the nighttime. And you can begin to frame for her, I'm so excited about night. God's going to do some exciting things tonight. Or I wonder what God is going to do while we sleep. Isn't that wonderful that He does things while we sleep? And as you lay there, you can say, What's good about the dark? And you can explore those things. So, to the extent that your three year old engages with questions, uh, to the extent that your three year old um, finds it interesting to explore, ask questions about what is one really good thing about nighttime. Just just as you're going to bed, to begin to frame that key truth, and there's 16 key truths here, but you can begin to talk about those. And then, if you want to pray before bed, she, she doesn't want you to pray, and you can say, That's okay, if you don't want me to pray for you, that's all right. But what I'm going to be praying for when I leave here, so you don't have to hear me, is that you find all of God's goodness tonight and that He goes with you into your dreams. Um, sweet dreams with God, and then you can leave. And so, you're framing for her where God is. Um, Sometimes if she is waking up um, most nights with nightmares, sometimes it's about having a, a process, things to grab onto. And so if she wakes up with nightmares, um, often it's about coming up with a, a pattern and a process to process those nightmares and how she finds her peace again. And so it's not really about going, it's not real and it's not true and trying to combat what the nightmare was. It's about helping her find her peace. And so the Comfort from the Darkness, darkness can help give you some truths about that. And there are some techniques in there. I think there's a whole chapter. Is there a chapter on nightmares? Uh, Maybe. Uh, Yes. Uh, Or explaining bad dreams, I think is in the back. If you go on the website, also, we have a whole series about bedtimes of videos and, and uh, what are they called? Articles about um, bedtime routines, how to deal with nightmares, how to deal with sleep and darkness and things. But I would suggest that if your child wakes up scared in the middle of the night then then it's not about what happened before but it's how do we find our peace and so it's saying what helps us find God's peace now is it about playing music is it about laying on the floor and chatting to God is it about cuddles and just asking for God's peace to come and wipe away all the pictures is it about asking God to bring lovely pictures and just like scripture says about, you know, dwelling on what is right and good and pure and true to just list together all of the wonderful things as you rock by her bed, all the wonderful things God has brought into your lives, trees and flowers and candy. And and it's about helping her find patterns of of finding God's peace within that. And so you can use the comfort in the darkness truths and you can find the patterns of finding God's peace so that she knows what happens. What we find with three-year-olds is often they'll get so used to their patterns of finding peace that they'll start doing it without their parent after a while, where they like you know, grabbing the Bible and flipping through pictures. We've heard stories of two and three-year-olds getting out of bed, grabbing their Bible, flipping through pictures until they fall asleep on it or going and, you know, Asking mom to come in and just push play on the music, and then going back to sleep. So once she finds her way of finding peace again, then it's not about preventing something bad happening, but it's about reconnecting into peace when it does happen, and that you can pray for it to not happen, anyways. Yes. So that would be my thoughts on how to use comfort in the darkness slash ways of st- of starting with nightmares. But I'd suggest you go to the website. There's a lot more ideas, a lot more videos on how to prep before bed and about how to deal with it when it happens
1: so I'm here with Alex Taylor. I often say I'm here and I'm actually on a Zoom call, but we are sitting in the sunshine in Alex's back garden. Alex, can you tell us a little bit about yourself
0: and what you do? My name is Alex Taylor. I'm sitting in the sun. (laughs) It's very exciting. I'm a writer and editor and trainer. So I generally write and edit and train uh, people who work with children and young people in a church context, in a faith context in some way. So some of my time I'm writing and editing articles for a magazine called youth and children's work, sometimes I'm working face-to-face with um, children's and youth workers in London, sometimes I'm writing a variety of one-off projects. Uh, So that's kind of what I do all day.
1: Fantastic, so pretty varied then. Yeah. And there is a project you've been working on recently with the amazing name, The Book of Wonders. Tell us about The Book of Wonders. How did it come about? and
0: uh, who's it for? The Book of Wonders is a full colour, highly illustrated book about science and faith. And it comes about uh, because of a partnership between Scripture Union and the Faraday Institute. So Scripture Union work with churches to introduce Jesus to children and young people, both inside the church and outside the church. They're very keen to reach children who are currently beyond the reach of traditional church. Faraday Institute, they, Work with people of all ages to try and uh, spread the message that science and faith, they're not in competition, but you can have both. And so their schools and youth team got a, a, a grant to produce a lot of resources uh, to help children and young people engage with this debate and see that both science and faith, not, they don't contradict each other, but they can build and inform on each other and one will support the other so um i've written a couple of resources uh, as part of this partnership one is a holiday club called the wonder zone mm-hmm. uh, which has been run online uh so scripts Union produced a lot of resources to help people run that online of course in uh, the pandemic restrictions but this one is a book for home and it forms uh, it's formed of uh, the full color highly illustrated book and then an activity book which will uh, is full of uh, Experiments and surveys that children can do on their own or children can do with their parents uh, in their own home.
1: And it looks absolutely beautiful, can I say. It's just uh, so you. well illustrated, so much information. You mentioned as part of the project of doing that, that you interviewed some scientists who are Christians, not Christian scientists, not Christian so you're scientists. very clear on that. <laughs> so uh, Scientists who happen to be Christians. Um, what was that like and why did you want to include their voices? Oh,
0: it made me feel very stupid because you <laughs> interview people who are experts in their field, people who work at John Bank, astrophysicists, people who are... Um, have made uh, kind of science-changing discoveries. Uh, People who are knighted, people who have got uh, damehoods and MBEs and all of that business. But they were all experts in their field and so they told me about the areas of study that they are experts in. They told me about the planets and they told me about beetles and they told me about the cells in my body and they told me about how my brain works. All of those kind of things. But they also told me all about Uh, what their faith means to them and how their science and their their area of study has informed their faith and how they see God at work through all the discoveries that they make I mean a lot of these people are on the cutting edge of their fields and it's really exciting to see how that work can inspire faith as well
1: Mm, it's amazing to see those things come together isn't it I um am my degree involved a bit of evolutionary biology mm-hmm. and the lecturer in that uh, used to start his lectures with a Bible verse and uh, was very, um, I'm not sure it'd be allowed now actually, it was quite evangelistic in his <laughs> approach. And I once asked him, you know, why, why are you so uh, keen about this and out there? And he explained how he'd come to faith and it was as part of his research and his science and his um, looking back at biology and and sort of evolution all that kind of thing that brought him to faith he'd just been so wowed by the wonders of the universe Mm -hmm. Um, and i think it's amazing for our children and young people to hear about people like that and meet them and just see how uh, faith and science can fit together what would you say to a parent whose uh, child maybe does still feel like there's a bit of a contradiction maybe from lessons at school or things that their friends are saying they feel like they have to choose either science or god
0: I think it's important to introduce uh, them to the wonder of science. That's partly why this book is called The Book of Wonders, because science is so full of wonder and awe and excitement, and our faith is as well. And I think it's important to introduce them to the wonder of science, but also then to to introduce them to these people, these scientists, who, for them, are living that life of faith and science together. And for them, it doesn't matter. You know, there's no contradiction. These things can work together, and for a child to see people, you know, making massive discoveries but still having a faith in God means that, you know, this kind of false dichotomy that we're often presented with, that it's an either-or and if you believe one you are you know, denying the existence of the other Uh, actually it's it's completely false, you can have both and you should have both and we do have both, Mm. so I think to for parents just to sit there and, and maybe look at the book, maybe do some of the activities in the activity book and as you do it, just chat about isn't this amazing? All this kind of bring out the awe and wonder and look at the quotes from the people, the scientists, and, and wonder together about well, what do you think of that? Do you think that God is in this? You know, where do you see yourself in this particular page or you know, what is God saying to you through these amazing facts and discoveries that people have made?
1: Mm, and almost use it as a, a tool and a springboard to have some more of those conversations.
0: That's right, yeah. Um, sometimes we can be scared of things that we don't understand. I'm sure many parents uh, throughout lockdown have been completely confounded by their child's curriculum uh, and having to, to uh, homeschool has made them very aware of the things they do and don't know. And yeah. sometimes we're scared of approaching things that we don't know. But we can do this together, mm. uh, just as we approach faith together. Uh, and we should be, you know, we're learning and discovering from each other and together. So we can do the same with science. And even if you don't know something about I don't know, your skeleton or uh, Saturn. Then, you know, you can discover these things together. And this book is a springboard both for conversation and for further experimentation, further discovery. So, yeah. And it's one of those books. It's a little bit like a uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not book or a Guinness yeah. Book of Records where you open the book anywhere you like and you find a little detail or a little fact that you think this is amazing. So children can read it like that, but you can also... Read it together, and I think that's important of doing things together mm. uh, as parents and children, or as grandparents and children, or as godparents you know, whoever it is that you're engaging with the children. Mm
1: one of the um, key tools we have at Parenting for Faith is called Surfing the Waves. And it's just about picking up whatever your child is interested in and journeying with them. Mm. So I was going to say this might be a really good book for sciencey kids. But actually, I was struck when I saw that you've done this book. Because I know you, Alex. I know you are a man of many talents. And if I were to pigeonhole you, which I won't, but uh, I know you as being someone who's amazing at musical theatre and choreography and... Baking and cooking, a lot of very creative, traditionally more sort of thought of right brain things. And yet you've uh, done this amazing science book. Um, And it just made me think how. children and adults can be often we think okay right you're the sciencey kid or you're the artsy kid or you're the it's sort of convenient to label them and um, but actually pretty much all children i would argue have some interest in science and in nature and in wonder and the universe so i'd really encourage you to get hold of this book um and yeah just just try it out and see if it's something that might help what age is it aimed for
0: uh primarily key stage two so anywhere seven to eleven but, uh, you know, any a couple of years either side of that, the pictures are very engaging. So a younger child could look at it and, you know, spot an anteater or, uh, you know, the heart and they'd know all about that. So, yeah, younger or older, but mainly key stage two.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> and finally, a question to start an interesting conversation with your kid. When do you think Jesus might have had more than one emotion at the same time? Ask it, have a great conversation. We'll be here the same time next week. Bye.
0: Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course to get in touch or to find out about training and events near you.